Greetings, listeners. I'm very excited to announce the premiere of my very first documentary, Psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics. It'll be premiering at the Dances with Films Film Festival in Los Angeles, June 15th at 5 p.m. at the historic Man's Chinese Theater. It's the most famous movie theater in the world. Super excited about it. This is quite an honor, and it's a 450-seat theater as well. We want to fill it up because a lot of you aren't going to be able to make it. You live uh, you live elsewhere, maybe even out of the country, and you're wondering, when can I check out this film? Well, the more people that come out and support the film on June 15th in Los Angeles, uh, the 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 more distributors and industry folks and fancy Hollywood people that come to check it out will be impressed and uh, and see the appetite for more psychedelic content out in our culture. So anything that you can do to help promote, if you know anyone in LA who's into psychedelics or into science or into me or into documentaries, whatever it might be, if you can help spread the word for me, if you can go on my Twitter and retweet my Facebook and, and share and repost and and anything, anything you can do will be so helpful. Uh, hopefully this is the first of many documentaries I make in my career, so I, I really want this one uh, to be successful and do well. And by the way, many people have already asked me, is this film festival something where you need to get a pass and spend a bunch of money to uh, check out the whole thing? Maybe, you know, you you are uh, only in town for in LA or know someone that's just in LA around this time and maybe just wants to come and see this film. You can get individual tickets for $15. So you don't need to get some big expensive festival pass. It's only $15 to see my new film, Psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics at the Man's Chinese Theater during the Dances with Films Festival, June 15th at 5 p.m. You can go to psychonauticsfilm.com and uh, psychonautics, in case you're wondering, that is P-S-Y-C-O-N-A-U-T-I-C-S. Or you can save yourself the hassle and go to Shane Moss, M-A-U-S-S, Dot com and check it out from there. It should be on the home page as I'm recording this or working on putting together and updating everything, so I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like, but it should be on the home page and really easy to uh, find and navigate for you to see previews, read more about the film, and buy tickets. Uh, we should also have a banner up on the herewearepodcast.com website. So excited about this, Uh, so excited that so many of you have been um, interested in this subject matter that's been a really important thing in my life, and and I know many of my listeners' uh, lives as well, and I've been really uh, impressed and grateful and uh, inspired to, to meet the uh, large and growing and interesting and intelligent uh, members of the psychedelic community out there. And I know you guys are incredibly uh, supportive and and are doing everything you can to 
uh, get the word out there yourselves and, and forward this movement. And so um, I, I'd really appreciate any support that you can give me. And uh, yeah, the, those of you that have already been spreading the word, thank you very much. I'm just so excited for this film. This, this might be a, a really kind of big stepping stone in my career and allow me um, some some new possibilities to explore uh, new ways of, of communicating bigger ideas like we talk about on this podcast to the public. So thank you once again and enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm talking with behavioral neuroscience. Ah, yeah. See, I should just leave that in just so people hear. I'm going to leave that in. My listeners, I always tell my listeners how much I screw up the intro, but they never get to hear. This time, they're going to get to hear it. Welcome to the Here We Are podcast, everybody. See, that's now I'm laughing. I would normally retake then and now. I, I may edit this out. We'll see. It, it might, we might. This is kind of amusing. I'm going to decide how amusing this actually is afterwards. All right. Welcome to the Here We Are podcast, everybody. Today, I'm talking with behavioral neuroscience grad student at OHSU, Rebecca Hood joins me. Nailed it. I nailed it. Yep. Woo! That was only my second try. Now mm-hmm. I have to keep in the intro exactly. so, I, so every, everyone can hear. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. How about you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for joining me. Happy uh, to be here. Uh, it's nice to have a place near where I live. <laughs> this is like 20 minutes from my home. This is super, uh, super easy. And I was looking over some of your work. And I'm very excited about what you're doing. You're like, uh, you're, you're like a, a future Oliver Sacks or something. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. If I can get maybe like a quarter of the like fame and recognition and notoriety and a impact tenth. that he has. A tenth. Anything. Yeah, right. Yeah, he is amazing. Um, so you, you uh, do research with Parkinson's. I do do research with Parkinson's. Um, and in mice, I think it's important to specify. The right. first thing that everyone says is like, oh, so you work with Parkinson's patients. No. Right. I work with little mice. Equally as important. I yeah. mean, I imagine the goal <laughs> is eventually, eventually. That, that treatment that you're using on mice will be used as humans and you're not just giving Parkinson's to mice and then curing them of it for, for, for funsies. funsies. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, ultimately, uh, that is the goal. And I really like what we do here. Um, my boss is really of the mind that we want to do everything as translational as possible. So a lot of people work with mice and study these behaviors in mice that don't necessarily match on to the human experience, the human condition, or things we can measure in humans. And we really strive to make sure that they match up. And so that what we understand and do here can more easily be translated and carried into the clinic for patients. Hmm. So... Uh, first off, what brought you here in the first place? Was it uh, was it the city of Portland? Did he want did he want to be in Portland first, or was it was it the job? It was Portland first. Okay. Um, I grew up in Atlanta. I went to school in Atlanta, and I worked in a lab in Atlanta. And then it was sort of like, well, I should see something else. So ran into a friend from high school um, who said she was moving to Atlanta, or sorry, to Portland, mm-hmm. um, and said, yeah, that sounds good, and packed up my car and drove out with her. Nice. Yeah. 
which was, in hindsight, incredibly irresponsible. Uh, Portland doesn't have a whole lot of bioscience industry, and I don't have a whole lot of skills outside of working in a lab. Uh, but I got really lucky and got hired in this position, um, which is exactly doing exactly what I wanted to do. That's wonderful. Yeah. And so, so describe uh, what what is Parkinson's exactly? I, I think I, I think I have some in my family, so I, I should really <laughs> I should really know a lot more about it than I actually do. But but for listeners that know even less than me, can you uh, give us just a, a brief overview? Yeah. So it's characterized by a loss of the cells that produce dopamine in the brain. And I think that when people traditionally think about dopamine, they think about it more in terms of reward and motivation and mood. Um, and there's this whole other circuit that actually is involved with movement. And so uh, any sort of conscious movement starts with these dopamine-producing cells releasing dopamine, and it sets off this cascade of signaling and this whole circuit that gets involved that ultimately sends signals out through the spinal cord and you move. Um, in a Parkinson's disease, we don't really know why, but those dopamine-producing cells die off. Um, and then they die off over time, I mean, decades and decades. And so by the time that people have lost about 60 to 70% of their cells is really when they start to show motor symptoms. Um, so for us, it's a challenge to figure out, well, if you're already losing over half of your cells, what can we do to either stop that cell loss where it is or even help to um, restore the activity of the cells that are still surviving? In, in the future, is this something that there would be um, screening for sooner so that people would it seems like so this is something that most people are finding out when a lot of damage has already mm -hmm. been done yeah and that's a that's a huge area of interest and in research so there's people who are of a mind that say you know well once you already lost this number of cells there's nothing we can do to bring them back um and so what they're trying to do is identify like either biomarkers, anything that's sort of circulating in the blood or um, cerebrospinal fluid, where there would be this easy, easy test to see if somebody's going to get it, you know, 30 years out. Hmm. Um, there's also people who are looking at the genetic components of it. And there are a couple of genes that are associated with it. Um, but the biggest gene right now, we know there's a mutation. It actually causes an increase in activity of this enzyme. And we don't really know why that causes Parkinson's. And so people with Parkinson's tend to have this mutation, but you can also have people who are totally normal, uh, no problems at all, and then they also have this mutation. Hmm. So there's something else that's going along with that, and we don't really know that. Um, so so you don't know what's causing Parkinson's? So are there like leading theories? or? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, there's some really interesting ones, uh, and that's not really what we focus on in the lab. We just sort of try to fix it. Um, I like to ask people about things that they don't yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a there's some different ones. Uh, there's somebody who came who thinks that it's all genetic and we just haven't identified the genes that are associated yet. Um, there's a lot of environmental impacts. So um, there are these pesticides, uh, one of which um, I we've kind of worked with a little bit that can cause damage that leads to Parkinson's disease. Um, there's somebody who believes that actually it starts in your gut. Um, so people who go on to develop Parkinson's maybe 15, 20 years beforehand, they have issues with their stomach, digestion, constipation, that kind of thing. Mm. So it seems to not start in your brain necessarily. Um, and so there was a study mm. that came out of a Scandinavian country that keeps impeccable health records, and I forget which one it is, um, where they looked at uh, people who had had a, a surgery to essentially sever the nerve that goes from the intestines up to the brain. And um, I think it was for 
acid reflux or something like that. But they followed them out for decades and saw that they actually had a lower rate of developing Parkinson's in the general population. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. So there's been a couple different mouse studies where you can give them this protein that ends up in the brain misfolding in Mm. the brain of people with Parkinson's disease. If you give that to mice just orally, Mm. it can actually travel up. So I think it's a that's a really cool theory and an idea. I don't know how much credence there is. And it and it also just cuts off the pain that you're receiving from so the the intestines are trying to send a pain signal to the brain and it's not going through because of Yeah. So, hmm. well that just seems like <laughs> why why, yeah. why why not just get rid of that preventively. Yeah. I guess I guess that's there's some useful pain signals going on there with you'd yeah. want to know if something's going on. Plus like I think the bacteria and I'm going to for I'm sorry, I don't know the exact number, but I think right. the majority of serotonin produced in your body is not in your brain, it's in your gut by the bacteria that live mm. there. And so there have been studies too where they um, give essentially, I think, yogurt with live active cultures that increase serotonin production to mice and they seem to have elevated moods. Hmm. So what you eat can really help. It's just like the list of things that you have to do I in know. life. It's I know. So, we're hoping we're hoping that you scientists can just figure out what exactly that list is, and we can all just take a daily pill of whatever. No, That's, but now you just we're, get the, we're a long ways away from. I know. That. Well, you just get the publications about like don't eat these things, don't eat bacon, it's killing you. Don't drink alcohol, it's killing you. Yeah, but then it's because uh, then. I think I saw like coffee. Does does coffee actually um, lower the rates of Parkinson's or something? Yeah, like caffeine does. Yeah, so caffeine, but caffeine's. I, I imagine caffeine has some negative consequences. I'm so, sure it does. So everything has. You just cherry some pick. Sorta, Which uh, one do you want? You know, yeah. do you want to prevent the Parkinson's? Drink a lot of coffee. Oh man, what what a great future that mm-hmm. we get to pick the way in which we <laughs> die and deteriorate. You know, at least there's some choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so so what specifically is is your work so we're looking at a new treatment for parkinson's um so uh, because parkinson's is ultimately caused by a loss of these dopamine producing cells typically the treatment is just to give a dopamine replacement um, and that works really well initially um, as the disease progresses and as people just take that more and more often they develop a tolerance to it is this the is this the famous L-dopa, yep, the, yep. the one thing that everyone exactly. knows about Parkinson's? Exactly, because <laughs> it's the only thing. It hasn't changed. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so patients still get that. The formulation is a little bit different, so hmm. they only have to take it a couple times a day versus all these times, and it's like a slower-release thing. Somebody figured out a way to just like make it a pump, but I think that's kind of messy and it doesn't work well. But, I mean, it, that really hasn't changed since they first discovered it hmm. um, in maybe 40 years now, I guess. It's still about the same. So what we want to do is figure out something else to do. So figure out a different region of the brain to target. Um, So as I kind of mentioned, there's this whole circuit within the brain that's involved with movement. And so when you lose that dopamine, it sort of throws the whole system out of whack. Um, So the way that I kind of like to think of it is maybe traffic. Um, If you have a daily commute on a system of roads, right? And so let's say you take the highway to get to work every day. Well, if the highway shuts down... You can still get to work. You just kind of have to go through different routes. Um, so even though there's that loss of dopamine, we can still kind of get signals within the brain and help to sort of reestablish these connections and these signaling pathways, even though you're losing the major one. Um, so there's a surgery now that's kind of become popular um, where you implant an electrode deep into the brain. It's called deep brain stimulation. Mm-hmm. And it's hitting this one region that tends to be affected. Um, 
And it's really interesting, this region in regular brains fires really regularly, almost like a pacemaker. And in Parkinson's patients, you can actually lower down an electrode and listen to the electrical signals that are coming out of it, and it's bursty. So you'll get like a bunch of firing patterns and then nothing, and then it's just kind of quiet for a little bit. So they started, uh, well, actually they started destroying that region first, and that seemed to help a little bit. Now they can stimulate it and sort of re-regulate that firing pattern. Hmm. Um, so that's... What part of the brain is that? I'm just going to challenge <laughs> myself. I'm gonna, right. we'll, we'll, we'll get a little bit of jargon in okay. here. We can, I think we're I'm, comfortable with exactly. a little bit of jargon. This is like episode 180 or something of a science <laughs> podcast. Okay. We can handle a little All right. bit. So it's called the subthalamic nucleus. Ah, I'm out. See? Never mind. I know. The, See, I screwed up. The brain names are terrible. <laughs> I know. It They're is. intuitive. Neuroscience is so fascinating, but the most frustrating I know. Th- of my interests, it's the one that I like. I, I always am. I always have a neuroscience book that I'm trying to read mm-hmm. or like some class that I'm trying to take or something. And I'm often, that's the first one that I'll give up on. We're not good at naming. I mean, everything is kind of relative. So subthalamic nucleus is just the region of the brain that's below the thalamus. I really thought I was going to be ha- able to handle it. One one piece of jargon. I'm like, <laughs> nope, I'm out. Uh, so so back to back so, to calling it a circuit. Yep. I guess. So so there's that region. So there's things that we can do, and that kind of helps for a little bit, and that helps with some people, but it's still not solving the problem. So what we thought is, well, maybe we can target some other brain region. So this, I look at the motor cortex. I think that's a better name. It's yeah, an easier one, right? We, yeah, yeah, I think everyone knows the cortex. Know more exactly. Than, yeah, motor cortex. Yeah. yeah, we can handle. So it. that's that's my region of interest. Um, so essentially, the idea is that by activating that area. We can potentially help the my mice to run a little bit better. And then also, based on what areas the motor cortex talks to, um, sort of even stimulate regrowth of some parts of the cells that are dying. Mm. So that's the idea. Um, and then the way that we do that, I think, is really cool. Um, but it's going to get a little in the weeds. No, let's get in the weeds. Okay. So I re- the, the paper that you sent me... Mm-hmm. I read it three times, and then I understood it <laughs> okay. pretty well. Cool. It took me three times, okay. but I got it. Okay. We'll so, do it. And, and so I think that... Single pass. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So um, in humans, what we would do is just um, sort of in- implant the strip of electrodes, which makes sense. Human brains are big enough. They can do it. Mm-hmm. Mice brains are tiny. I mean, like the size of like a fingernail, kind of. Um, and I don't have the engineering ability or the eyes to be able to do something that small. So what we're doing instead is sort of almost a genetic model to activate it. So within the brain, um, there are all sorts of different neurotransmitters, but the major neurotransmitter that is inhibitory, so it quiets everything down, is GABA. Um, And that's actually about 80% of the signaling in the brain is inhibitory. Sort of keeps a check on everything else and allows just the most important signals to go through. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Too. People don't think about it. No, not at all. And we don't even think about it that way. I mean, like, we just kind of talk about, like, oh, it goes to here and here. But there's all these, they're called interneurons because they just stay in the region that they're involved in and they just sort of are like a gate on everything else and block all the signals that are coming in or going out or whatever. Well, if you shut down all of the inhibitory signals in your brain, you would just be overwhelmed with Mm -hmm. so much. That raw data yeah. and information coming in from everywhere, would not, nothing would make any sense. There's some terrible movie that came out a couple years ago, an action movie, where like she takes a drug and it unlocks the full potential of her brain. Oh, yeah. yeah. I never saw it because I knew it was going to make me too angry. Right. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So the Limitless show or whatever yeah, isn't, isn't something like that. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh, Maybe darn. like within reason. Actually, I haven't. Seen I haven't it. seen the show either, okay. so we're fine. It's a it's a good Screw idea. Screw that show. Exactly. Dumb. Um, 
So what we can do is actually um, stop those inhibitory neurons from firing. So we have this special mouse line where the DNA has been altered. So the gene to make those neurons fire, essentially, those inhibitory neurons, it's been altered to have these like flagging sequences on either side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what we can do is uh, insert... We use a virus to insert another gene um, just into the cell that creates this enzyme called Cree recombinase that goes to that flagged sequence and cuts it out. Um, It's kind of like CRISPR. Uh, I know that's been in the news recently, um, where you can just sort of target these specific genes Mm -hmm. um, and alter them in a live animal, which is really, really cool. And I can do it just in the brain region that I want, which is a step above a lot of the other mouse models that are knockouts or something where like every cell would have this thing knocked out. This isn't true. I'm just targeting this really specific little area in the motor cortex. Hmm. Um, and so as a proof of principle, uh, I did this first and then gave them mice. We use a neurotoxin, um, essentially a poison that just targets those cells that die in Parkinson's patients. It, it was, it, it was, uh, how was this discovered again? There's oh, this is a good story. It's a good one. It's MPTP. Um, so it was discovered back in the 60s. And I want to say it was UC Davis. Um, and this chemistry student was trying to make drugs in his garage and just messed up the synthesis just messed up one of the steps but he made it and he injected it and i mean i think 22 23 and then within a couple weeks developed these parkinsonian symptoms oh wow that is yeah not good i mean that that's a that's an after school special yeah exactly but do you know what he was trying to make by chance i think I think it was an amphetamine. Oh. I know this is sort of like the... Yeah, they were big into amphetamines right mm-hmm. around that time. Huh. Yeah. Um, but And so like I think he sold it to a couple other people or something. So there's like seven or eight people who just started showing up in emergency rooms around California with these oh, symptoms. Man. So, you know, don't make your own drugs. Yeah, that's, just- that's why. <laughs> I've, I've tried to tell listeners before to stop making odd substances in yeah. the bathtub and then yeah. immediately injecting Mm-mm. them into themselves. Don't do that. They don't listen. Know, they're going well, to do what they're going to do. But, but it's the more stories like this that come out, the, <laughs> you know, the better it is for everybody. Devil's advocate, though. <laughs> like, finding this substance was, I mean, changed the way that we do Parkinson's research. Because it really does target the cells that are lost in Parkinson's. So, you know, not a great idea. Don't test it on yourself. But this was a really big discovery for us. Hmm. So, well, thanks. You know, a bright side. <laughs> thanks, drug user. Yeah, you know. I mean, doing stuff for science. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I feel like I've ran a fair amount of scientific there studies on myself. <laughs> uh, nothing quite as notable as that. So, so from this um, serendipitous... <laughs> Yep. This unfortunate accident for this guy was mm-hmm. a, a wonderful uh, bit of insight yeah. for science. Windfall for us. So, so now because these mice don't actually have Parkinson's, mm-hmm. they don't like start with Parkinson's. So right. This is a way of inducing it. Exactly. So we um, we do these injections uh, daily over four weeks, and so we get to about like early clinical. So like the mice just start to show symptoms. Um, one of the problems with working with mice is they are really resilient to anything so um it's something that we've struggled with like just to actually be able to see motor symptoms in the mice they do really well they'll lose about 90 95 of their dopamine and they're still running around Hmm. um we get really like little subtle changes um one of the ways we can measure actually like changes in motor dysfunction in the mice is we have a clear treadmill 
um, with a camera underneath. And so you just make the mice run on the treadmill and then slow it down and go frame by frame and measure like, you know, the amount of distance they're taking with each step and like mm. the angle of their paw and that kind of thing too. So we have a program that'll do that mostly uh, automated for us, which is a big way that we measure sort of motor issues and recovery in the mice. Hmm. Um, so how much, how much do you have to knock out before it's actually uh, um, usable? It depends on the way you do it. So there's a lot of, I think every lab probably has their own model of Parkinson's. So the way that we do it is we administer relatively low doses over four weeks and we progressively get higher. And so the idea behind that is that Parkinson's is a disease that progresses over, gen- I mean, decades. So uh, a lot of other people will just give a really, really high dose of this drug, the MPTP, and then, I mean, really knock out most of the cells. It also kills about half the mice. Um and they get motor dysfunction. But you're doing it all at once. In the brain, it doesn't work like that. Um, we know that in Parkinson's patients, one of the reasons that they don't have any motor symptoms until they lose, start to lose 50 to 60% of their cells is because their brains can kind of reorganize and uh, almost compensate for that loss and do other things. So if we're trying to model that, giving this drug once isn't going isn't gonna, to um, be a good mirror for that. So instead, we do it over four weeks. So it's a relatively gentle, as we would say, in the field um, model. So we can still see some effects, um, especially in the aged mice. So we do it in older mice, too. Uh, As you might expect, the older mice don't recover as well as the younger mice. Mm So you, before when you were talking about what you do with the uh, with the genes, which I'm already I understood it, but there's no way I'm going to be able to repeat it, um, which means I don't fully know it yet. Um, but so so are you knocking out? Are you are you using the MPTP before the, your your treatments or after or um, both? Both actually. So okay. what we did first was just the treatment and then the MPTP, just sort of as a proof of principle. Mm-hmm. So. Conceivably, if this treatment is going to do something and work in the same circuit that's being affected by MPTP, we would see a protection against the MPTP is the idea. Um, but And we did, a complete protection, which we've never actually seen before with any of our treatments, uh, which was really, really exciting, and that was sort of the go-ahead. And the reason that we did that is because the idea of activating the motor cortex is a little bit far-fetched. So the neurologists that we talked to... Um, other people in the field that we talked to are like, that's not going to work. You're just going to give them my seizures. There's no way that activating something all the way up here is going to help all these cells all the way down at the bottom of the brain in a completely different area. So did this completely protective, really surprising, really promising. Mm. So went on with the, um, the restoration study. So what I'm working on now is giving the MPTP, so causing the disease first, and then doing the th- therapy to see if we can cause any sort of recovery. Mm. But the first one, so so they were, they were then like immune to MPT. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, so is this? So what? What are there any noticeable um, negative side effects? To- not that we saw, and I mean, again, like the mice are pretty resilient to everything, so I don't think that it's like a miracle cure. Where if you did this the same thing in humans, that it would be totally fine. Yeah. So you couldn't like eventually maybe make some sort of vac- Parkinson's vaccine based on this. Um, I mean, hopefully that would be not a vaccine necessarily, but like a gene therapy sort of thing right. to target the same area in the brain. 
Um, For people that are genetically predisposed, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> why can I not? Say, I, I'm, I'm giving up on. I'm words. throwing jargon at you. Okay. Predisposed. Predisposed. <laughs> I think I try. Yeah. Well, whatever. Predisposed. I got it. I'm nailing it. Um, so eventually, it, it could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Huh. So we could do it as protection, or potentially, if this restoration works out, we could use it as a therapy. Um, to help. And so people are actually, there's a lab in Italy that's already um, implanting the strip of electrodes over the motor cortex in their Parkinson's patients. Um, and this is a lot safer than the other, the deep brain stimulation that targets the subthalamic nucleus. It's a much safer uh, surgery than that because you're not going all the way down into the brain. Um, and that seems to help them. Uh, you know, I think they've only followed them out for like five years or so. But so far, at least... Um, they show motor improvements. They don't have the tremors that you'd expect. Okay, so say that one more time. So what are they doing with human patients? So they, they put a strip of electrodes mm -hmm. um, over the brain. Uh, and they do it over the motor cortex, so the same area that I'm targeting. And they just kind of stimulate it mm -hmm. um, at a specific frequency. And I don't know the details because I'm not – I don't need to. Um, right. But they're theoretically doing the same thing that I'm trying to do. And that seems to help the patients. Hmm. Um, and – I, so we don't really know if it's going to help enough to like cause recovery um, of some of the areas that are lost in Parkinson's. We can't. It's hard to do that with a human. Mm -hmm. um, but at least there's some benefit already, and it's possible. It would possibly halt the uh, yeah uh, uh, Parkinson's from from uh, the deterioration. Yeah, and that's the gold standard. Nobody's right. ever really been able to find that. Right, and then after that, you'd hope that maybe there'd be some way of recovering. Mm -hmm. That would be. Yeah. Much further in the future. Yeah, exactly. So, um, all right. So, so the second part, once you gave the mice, um, I'm forgetting, M MPTP mm -hmm. first, and then you did the gene therapy, what happened? That's a good question. Um, so that's my dissertation work. And um, I've been working on that for about two, two and a half years. And... Um, uh, just about a month ago, found out that I had a problem at the very beginning of the experiment. So oh. everything I did, oh, science. I know you, you got to start from scratch. I'm starting from scratch. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, oof. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. Yep. That's yep. That's uh, my job is so much easier than yours. <laughs> I I don't have to. I oh. sometimes I realize I was like using a word wrong. <laughs> on stage that's I, that's like the closest i come to what you experienced i just change that word and move on with my life i don't have to start all over yeah but i'm starting over but like that embarrassment was fairly private like it was yeah. like you know me well, and my dissertation was. committee well yeah and now everybody knows <laughs> that's fine i think it's it's a good cautionary tale sure do your control experiments well, first oh is that what happened yeah so the virus that we're using to inject the um to cause the the protein to express that'll actually cut out the gene for us um it's supposed to be fairly innocuous and a lot of people use this sort of virus it's called an adenovirus and what you can do is just take out whatever the virus has normally in there like it's would have dna or rna to make the cell make more copies of itself mm -hmm. so what scientists have done is actually just take that out and then packaged it with our own dna the dna that we want so I can just use this little, like, we just get it in a tube, we tell the company what we want, and they send it to us, all these viral particles packaged with DNA to make the cells express the protein that I need. Mm. Um, it also causes the cells to express this, uh, it's a green fluorescent protein, GFP, 
It's what makes jellyfish glow green. Um, whoever discovered it won the Nobel Prize a couple years ago for it. It's really cool. Like my mouse prints glow green. It's awesome to see. Um, apparently that's toxic and really high concentrations. <laughs> but it looks out. neat. It looks really cool. Um, but we were look. I mean, for this is embarrassing. For years, uh, one of one of my groups, I'd look at it and be like, "Well, I can see the injection site. And it's green. Like it's green around the outside, and it's just black in the middle. I don't know why that is." Well, the cells were all dying. Ah, in hindsight, that one's pretty ah, obvious. Shoot, the old cells in the middle dying. No, should have known. Yeah, <laughs> everyone uh, falls for that one. I know, at least a couple. Exactly, times. you know, fool me once. <laughs> you love, you learn. Um, yeah. So, in once I figured that one out. Uh, right. So I'm going all the way back to the beginning. Um, I just was looking today. Um, I found a better viral concentration that's not going to kill the cells. Okay. So I'm starting over next week, hopefully. Okay. Well, this is exciting. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, stay tuned. I can I can update you. Sure. Hopefully it doesn't take another two and a half years to... Well, I mean, <laughs> don't you already, having done it the first time, isn't, go- isn't it going to be pretty streamlined <laughs> yeah. this, this time around? Yeah. I've been referring to the first failure as just my dry run. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So I've got everything worked out. So so walk me through the process one more time of, of this new streamlined version <laughs> that you're that you're going to All right. I'm gonna inject the mice with MPTP for four weeks. Okay. Give them the disease. Um, and then I'm gonna do the surgeries, inject the virus into their brain at a safe concentration mm-hmm. and then wait maybe about a month. Um, it takes about two weeks for the virus to put its contents into the cell and for the cell to start making the proteins that I need it to. And then I want to give it a little bit more time just for the modifications to happen. Um, so wait about a month and then euthanize the animals, take their brains, look at them, do a couple assessments. We can, I can look at the cells that produce dopamine and just count those um, in the time. I used to do it manually. Now I figured out a way to do it automatically. That'll speed things yeah, up. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a nightmare counting oh, them manually. That How is... Did- you just sit there and count. Just what? just click. For how many? Months. How many are you counting? Oh God. Um. Well, we've changed uh, since I first started. We used to do it is like called stereological. It's three D cell counting. So you can go and like the there's this fancy program that does it. But like you count like every sixth section or something through the whole. Not like the whole brain, but it's like this one structure of the brain. <laughs> but and then it extrapolates and it ends up being like twenty thousand cells. What? You count 20? No. no. It's okay. like, but it's like a couple hundred cells per slice. Okay. And then it extrapolates from there. Oh, I see. I yeah. see what you're saying. But it's still, I, it's like, you got, have to do it. I got lost it. in yeah. that number for no. a second. Well, really it's freaked out. Awful. But still, it's so that you're counting like a, a couple hundred yeah. tiny and little cells. It's how like four or how five. Are you, so you're under a microscope counting mm-hmm. each one of these mm-hmm. and you don't. Do you lose track and gotta? You can just click. Fortunately, oh, yeah. Okay. So we mark them. There's Whew. there's ways. Yeah, I don't even all have right. to. I don't even have to like, think is, of a number. People are always like, because I'm interested in science. <laughs> you know, I have a science podcast. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, honestly, I just mostly read pop science books and take like some online courses. So I'm not I'm not getting like the full uh, science background, but. But people sometimes people are like, "Well, do you ever think about just becoming a scientist?" I'm like, "Oh no, because <laughs> no. you know what the process yeah, is." Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I like hearing about <laughs> the finished product. I like the yeah. brainstorming, mm-hmm. the beginning, the mm-hmm. brainstorming, trying to figure out what yep. the, the hypothesizing about what is maybe going on, what can be done. About, that sounds like a ball to me. Yeah, counting uh-uh. cells. 
No. You don't, you don't have a, you can't get someone uh, downstream. <laughs> you don't have an in, intern. An OHSU doesn't have undergrads. Oh, so, slam OHSU. Yep. Well, I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> but I, so like, I, I don't have anybody to do my grunt work. It's just uh, me. It's fine. It's, I mean, you know, grad school's supposed to be annoying and tedious. How so. long does it take to, I didn't realize that now the podcast is going to get, <laughs> <laughs> now the next 15 minutes is going to be me wondering about count, what oh. counting cells. How long does it take? You're, you're counting one, um, slide yeah. of, of mm-hmm. cells. How long does one slide Take. The way you're, that we're clicking yeah. on each one, you're on each finding one. and clicking. Yeah, the way that we've done it now, I can probably do an animal in maybe forty-five minutes. Oh, That's not terrible. Okay. I mean, considering it used to be that three D one, it used to take four to five hours per animal. What are you doing? Are you listening to music? Are you, you're, you're listening to podcasts because it makes okay. me feel like there's somebody yeah. else with me. Like I'm not just totally <laughs> antisocial and like in a corner you're by all myself. Alone and counting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. And so now you have a program that's counting them for you. Exactly. That is what took so long. Exactly. Yeah, that's one of them. (laughs) But you know, so I automated that one. All right. What else? And and it's just done in a snap now. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be a big change. I'm excited about that one. Okay, that's exciting. Yeah. Everything else is pretty manual labor, though. Yeah. Um, I can look at expression of proteins um, that are related to Parkinson's or related to dopamine production. Um, so I'll do that, but that's a long, drawn-out process. Um, grind up the tissue and isolate the protein and then sort it based on size on a membrane and then use antibodies to probe for exactly the protein that I want and then scan it. It's like a multi-day process. That's fine. Hmm. That's fine. So... So basically everything from the first test that's just in the gar I mean yeah. still you I mean you were still getting some results. I was getting some results. So what what were the results that you were getting? Well the problem is that I so the I was seeing visible cell loss like I had that dark hole in the middle um which is ironically we were calling it the halo effect which yeah. the connotation of that is nice it was a, not right. a halo anywhere but um in the other group where it's I wasn't more of just saying, like a core of death. Yeah, yeah. Somebody said like the angel of death touched it right there. Um, but in the other group that we thought looked okay, because this is the first time we've done this in our lab. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, the cells are glowing. It should be fine. Apparently those cells were unhealthy too. Mm. Um, so the problem is that everything got destroyed, like that same region. So I don't even have anything to compare it to because there was just damage in every single mouse. Um, huh. Okay. Well, yeah, that's just. <laughs> so yeah, I you know I have an advisory committee, and we finally figured this out uh-huh. uh, a little bit too late, um, and they were desperately trying to you know clod anything for me to like get out of here, graduate, and yeah. there's just nothing, nothing. salvageable. Ah, but well, you know, so lesson sorry. learned. Yeah. I'll um, never do that again. That is, <laughs> I I do not have. Uh, I am not a very conscientious person. <laughs> I, I I'm kind of aloof mm-hmm. at times and uh, kind of often outer space. I think I'd be making a, a lot of mistakes like that <laughs> constantly. I don't uh, I don't think I mean I would I would hope that no one would hire me in the first place. That's like my <laughs> hope that science is above hiring someone like me. But I don't think I would do. I think I would be making a lot of those uh, those. Oh geez, well I I guess I didn't. Uh, I did that last few years. I guess I didn't. Yep. 
I thought it'd be a okay. So so what is what is now? I feel like uh, um, the, the scientific karma, which is that's an oxymoron. <laughs> now now this is going to this next run is going to have Just to go your way. Wonderful? It's it's going to be the best. Run. What's the most ideal outcome? What are your mm. your hopes and dreams? Hopes and dreams. Ideally, um, seeing motor recovery so if the mice can run better after this that'd be wonderful mm-hmm. um oh better not just not just uh well stopping yeah deteriorating yeah so um yeah stopping deteriorating but you know like when i think about it i think about the graph and you I know see. so like the mptp graph is going to be like down low and then the other one is going to be up higher the treatment one's going to be up higher with everything else so yeah so they'll be you know back to baseline back to where they should be i like graphs okay i do like the graphs right. so now i'm like back on just think about that being a scientist okay. again like, we oh, make well, a lot of graphs, graphs so many cool. graphs <laughs> um and then ideally um what would happen is so those cells that die off the ones that exist or the ones that survive project so they like when they s- signal they send their um, projections up to this region called the striatum and so we target that a lot and that's where they release the dopamine um and so we can I can measure how much dopamine is there. I can look at the existing nerve terminals, so just the projections from those existing cells, and I can look at them at such a level where I can see all the little tiny spines that come off of those that are making contacts with other cells. And so ultimately what we're hoping, what I'm hoping, is that by activating the motor cortex, that's gonna, it's just above it and that projects to the same area, that it's going to um, cause essentially more spines to develop. Mm-hmm. So these cells, even though there aren't a whole lot of them, can talk to more neurons and therefore kind of compensate for the loss of cells. So an increase in dendritic spines would be wonderful. I'd, so maybe. Awesome. We'll see. Yeah. Well, will, will you please, if, when when all of your dendritic dreams come true, <laughs> will you email me and I'll share with the group? I'll be like, she did it! <laughs> Yes. I just feel so bad for you oh, after I'm... that. What was was it like one day that you found out? Yeah, or was it, yeah. <laughs> it was one day where where the truth of yeah. what was going on over? What did you do that? What was that evening like? Does, oh, <laughs> did you... It was like that afternoon. So um, I'm from Georgia. I uh... would have gone home and got blackout <laughs> drunk, to be honest. Well, so I, I, I was. I was meeting, I was not on this campus um, with two of my committee members who said, you know, like, yeah, this is happening. You're going to have to redo everything. So I was like, <laughs> didn't cry in the conference room, okay. which was an That's achievement. Amazing. Achievement. I waited till I, I, I got to my car. Understood. Mm-hmm. I think they would have. They're very nice. But I waited till I got to my car and then I went and got Chick-fil-A, just fried food. Okay. Ate it in my car while I was kind of crying. Hmm. And I went and went shopping for backpacking stuff because I was there. Yeah. Just, um, and pretended that I wasn't having to go back to the lab. And then, yeah, I think I texted a couple friends and made them buy me beers. So, oh, that's, you know, that's not, that's not too bad. I would have, I would have probably been smoking some MPTP <laughs> by, by <laughs> that. Screw it. <laughs> that um, I mean, I was, I was tempted to just throw in the towel and say, forget it. Yeah. This isn't meant to be, but, uh, yeah, it's fine. I mean, I'm, I feel like I should apologize to you. I feel like this is sort of a bait and switch. I'm like, let me tell you about my work that didn't work out. Oh no, this is uh, this is uh, because every every scientist tells me about. Well, not everyone tells me about them, but <laughs> well, but it, it's it's well understood now. Yeah. I've interviewed so many scientists that most of the life of a scientist is 
thinking you have like some idea mm-hmm. and then some sort of something goes bad with yeah. the data or the way something was measured or or Everything goes or wrong. just the hypothesis was was yeah. was wrong mm-hmm. it, it was you didn't get what you expected yeah. which is sometimes more interesting mm-hmm. in this case not so much more interesting just more sad then <laughs> <laughs> yeah like if the hypothesis was wrong fine we learned something from that this is like oh you just you just didn't do it right but at least there's still hope for pre- it's not that it could have been worse yeah. i think i think that you could have gotten to the end you could have gone like well this treatment just doesn't work isn't going to work there is no hope for this treatment Mm -hmm. and therefore our model of hopefully helping people with parkinson's is uh we're just totally back to the drawing board you're not back to the drawing board that's true you're just it was just my fault (laughs) the treatment didn't work i just didn't make it work that's fair that's an optimistic way to think about it yeah yeah um Awesome. Well, I I'm excited for you. I'm optimistic about it. Thank you. Um, this is that is it's it's also it's surprising to hear that L dopa is basically still mm-hmm. the only thing, and that's yeah. So we're long overdue for something exactly, and now a little longer overdue. <laughs> eventually, eventually we'll get there. Um, so I have my guests each week plug a uh, a charity or nonprofit mm-hmm. of their choice. Do you have one in mind? I do. Um, the World Parkinson's Coalition, um, which is to be expected. Um, mm-hmm. They do a lot more patient support. Um, and they have a lot of resources online for people with Parkinson's, caregivers of people with Parkinson's. Um, I was lucky enough to go to their conference uh, two years ago when they had it in Portland. Um, and it's half people with Parkinson's and their caregivers and then half scientists and doctors. And I've never been to a conference like that. Mm. It's so rare. And it was such a wonderful opportunity for me to be able to talk to people with Parkinson's. Right. I'm, you know, you, you don't I'm know counting anyone cells in, your in a family corner. Or, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. And so, and you know, like I can read the papers and reading an academic paper is very different than actually interacting with someone with Parkinson's. So it was just a wonderful opportunity. Um, I know all the people that I talked to were so excited about being there. Um, so I think what they do is just really, really great. That's awesome. My girlfriend's a, uh, a social worker, specializes yeah. in, in caring for older people and getting them resources mm-hmm. and want to care coordinator, but, but she does a lot of dementia, Parkinson's, yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, is this, is this treatment, um, well, I guess you don't quite know, <laughs> but is, is this um, hypothetically anyway? This is uh, Parkinson specific. This isn't. This isn't going to be um, the the specific kind of process that you're using. This this wouldn't necessarily be useful in other kind of aging brain. Um, like- Probably or? not okay. for dementia. Um, there are a lot of things, or like Alzheimer's. Or yeah. Anything. Like, mm-hmm. uh, what, what's the difference between Alzheimer's and Parkinson's? It's, by the way, there's actually it's so Alzheimer's is more memory related, and oh, Parkinson's right. is more movement related. Oh, okay. But there's a lot of really interesting similarities between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, people that develop them both have these um, sort of buildups of these different proteins in their brain. So in Alzheimer's, it's plaques. Um, and in Parkinson's, it's this uh, protein called alpha-synuclein. But these proteins both get misfolded and they just sort of accumulate in the cells. Um, and that happens primarily in the areas associated with memory and Alzheimer's, and then the areas associated with movement and Parkinson's disease. So there's these underlying mechanisms that people think they might be related. So um, I was just listening to a talk yesterday where somebody was saying, well, maybe the proteins that are re- uh, required to clear stuff out of the cells, those just get impaired. And actually, in both Parkinson's patients and Alzheimer's patients, they have a mutation in one of these proteins. Hmm. Um, so there is a relation between the two. 
Um, and then apparently people with Alzheimer's, if they live long enough, will ultimately develop a movement disorder. People with Parkinson's disease, if they live long enough, ultimately develop dementia. Hmm. So there is a lot of overlap. But because I'm just targeting the movement area of the brain for I right see, now, right. it's just Parkinson's. Sorry. Well, cool. Oh, don't be sorry. I'm excited. <laughs> Just one subset. Yeah, yeah. How how long do you think this? Uh, how long do you think round two is going to take? Um, I'm cutting down a little bit, so I'm taking out the stuff that was really going to take a long time. Um, if you thought the cell counting was bad, electron microscopy. Oof. What what's that? So it's a very very cool technique where we take slices of brain and then we ultra thin section them. So okay. I mean they're just nothing and um, put them underneath a stream of electrons. And then we see if the electrons go through or not. So I can see like the synapses in the brain. Um, I can see the vesicles that hold the neurotransmitters as they move towards the synapse. I can see the mitochondria. I don't know if you remember like the drawing of the mitochondria in um, the biology textbooks when it's the cross section of the cell. Sure, I've seen it. Yeah, it's like the mitochondria is like the one where it's like an oval shape and it's got like lots and lots of little lines in the middle because there's lots of folds. You can see that on the electron microscope. It's it's so cool. Like it actually looks like it does in the um, in the textbooks and everything. So I can do that. And what we use that for is to actually look at when I was talking about the projections um, and then releasing dopamine. What I can do is essentially zoom in on each one of those projections and look at the end of that cell and quantify how much of the neurotransmitter is there. So I can look at how much dopamine is actually in the terminal before it gets released. And that's, is that how you're seeing the dendritic spines as um, well? Yeah, I can do it that way. There's another way that's a little bit easier um, where I just have to stain it. It's quicker. It's more automated. Um, but I can do it that way too, and I can actually measure the size of the spines. Um, but it's that is just sitting in a very, very dark, cold room by myself for a long time and <laughs> looking for labeled terminals. And that one is tedious. So anyway, I'm not doing that probably. Um, so I'm hoping to be done in like eight months. Okay. Yeah. That's not bad. No, because I already started writing my dissertation and <laughs> I already got that part. Yeah, you just cut out the parts for you. It all failed. Yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, well, good luck with this. And <laughs> Thank you. We're all rooting for you. We're all... every. <laughs> Uh, the the uh, the world would benefit greatly from <laughs> from having some new treatments. So, thank you for sharing. Of course, thank you. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week. All right, guys. Once again, that is psychonauticsfilm.com to check out the premiere of my very first documentary psychonautics a comics exploration of psychedelics and you can expect uh, next week um, you can expect a, a fantastic really incredibly interesting episode all about sleep and and dreaming this is something i don't think we've talked a ton about on the podcast before and this was just absolute mind-blowing uh, conversation really um, you know since we're talking about uh, since I'm promoting the documentary I, I might say it was a, a rather trippy conversation that we had about sleep such a fascinating subject what in the world is sleep all about spoiler alert still a whole lot of questions out there unanswered it is such a fascinating topic can't believe this is the first dedicated episode to the topic 
Hope to have lots more in the future. But man, we start the conversation off with a bang with Slatin Kristen uh, next week. And so tune in for that. Thank you to all my Patreon supporters. Thanks to everyone writing reviews on iTunes. Music brought to you this week by The Long Hunt. Make sure and check out the Jimmy Fro podcast for new indie music. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorites. Mm-hmm.